Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the After Party. This is episode 003, as I've been calling them in my computer. I don't know why. Uh, that's because I'm leaving space for 999 episodes <laughs> eventually. No, I don't know why. This week has been kind of an interesting week. I hope you guys have had a good week, by the way. Uh, thank you for joining me. There's only limited time in the week, and for you guys to either listen to this in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify or even Google Podcasts, got that in the Play Store, got it submitted, or whether you're watching this uh, on YouTube, however you're consuming this, thank you, because there's so many options, and you chose to check out the Daily Tech Podcast. Uh, appreciate you guys, appreciate everything that you've enabled. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I got a little bit of a cold, and hopefully it doesn't come through too crazily here in, in the podcast, but uh, after this, after I record this, I'm going to go rest and relax for the weekend. <laughs> I want to tell you guys a little bit about this week. Two really interesting products showed up at the studio. One of those was the brand new, just announced, and I got it a day later, thank you Beats, uh, Beats Solo Pro headphones. I'm so excited about these. It's the second edition, the second product from Beats that's sort of their next level, next generation of headphone products. So they came out with the Power Beats Pros, and you know, you probably got my, uh, hopefully you caught my review of those. And that was like the first product of their next gen Beats. This is the second entry into the next gen Beats lineup. And it's so cool. I don't know if you guys know this, but the solos are sort of like the best selling Beats. When you see Beats out on the street, there's a really good chance that they're the Beats solos. They're on ear headphones, they're not over the ear. And what's new now is several things, uh, updated chip, whatever. Um, when you unfold them, they turn on. When you fold them back up, then they turn off. That's really cool. That's taking me some time to get used to. The, the big, super huge headlining feature probably is the new noise cancellation feature on these over-ear Beats headphones, which is super cool. There's two uh, different modes, or you could turn them off for extra battery, but there's the noise canceling, which is working really well, and then there's also the... It's like a pass-through mode. I think it's called transparency mode. And it lets you kind of hear a little bit about what's going on in the room around you or the space around you while still helping you hear your music or your podcast, whatever you're listening to at the same time. And by the way, if you're watching this podcast instead of just listening to it, then you might notice that I'm wearing Beats solos, but these are the old ones. These are the previous generation. I assume they're still gonna sell these uh, because the new ones are so much more expensive. Uh, but I like these a lot. I would wear the new ones, but they don't have a way for me to monitor the audio for this podcast. So whatever. But these are kind of what the solos look like, if you're wondering. Now, I've only had a little time to play around with these, but so far, I'm really liking them. Really excited about it. I love the colors, too. Some some of the beats, like, they have some cool colors, but there's something about it that just throws it off for me. Like, um, there's white, but it's not all white. There's like a gold band or something. Yeah, there's none of that here. It's like really solid colors, whether it's red, product red, kind of red, and that's what I grabbed. We got the reds, uh, or you know, blue. I really like the blue. Uh, whatever it is, I really like the colors. Really like the look, um, the functionality. They kind of slide to adjust this time instead of clicking. I don't know what you prefer, but I just I'm really liking these a lot. And this was announced, I think, on the same day as the Pixel announcement. And so it was the verge of somebody who was saying, "Sorry to intrude on your Pixel coverage." 
uh, but we have to announce the beats, <laughs> and it's not just a an announcement; it's a pretty big announcement. So, so these solo pros—they're kind of a big deal. And not only will I be covering them, but Beats was cool enough. Um, I reached out to them. I was like, "Hey, you know, I haven't seen a video that's just comparing all the Beats, every pair of Beats yet out there, and especially not anytime recently." And so they were nice enough to send over every pair of Beats that exists, except for like one, uh, for a video to help you guys understand like my perspective and what you should buy or not buy, make the best decision. And then like a day later, after I got that box with all those beats, here was the announcement. I got an email like, hey, we're launching these new ones. I was like, well, yo, you gotta send those over too. Uh, we can't do this video without that. So anyways, that video is coming out featuring these brand new headphones. I'm really excited about it. But yeah, the Pixel 4 did come out and it was well leaked. Everyone kind of knew what to expect ahead of time with a few surprises. And already I'm seeing, it's interesting to me, a lot of people are acting very negative kind of towards this device for whatever reasons. And uh, by the way, if there's anything you want to see me cover about this specifically from my perspective, um, shoot me a tweet or whatever, let me know. But as you guys probably know, I've said this before, I'm a technology fan. So I'm not like just an Apple user. I'm not just an Apple fan. Like I'm a technology fan. And so I get excited when whatever tech product comes out because the technology fan of me wants to check it out and see how it works and test all the cool new features. It just so happens that personally, I use the Apple devices the most. I like them the best as an ecosystem on the whole. And it's not that that could never change, but it's interesting. I put out a tweet, uh, I think it was yesterday or today, and it really, I could tell it rubs some people the wrong way. And I, I certainly didn't mean for it to, but I said, you know, it's interesting how many uh, Android reviews I see out there, you know, channels on YouTube that are like predominantly Android channels oftentimes, or even over at The Verge. And the person reviewing an Android device, if you look at their wrist, they're wearing an Apple Watch. And uh, I pointed that out. And I think some people got upset. A couple other YouTubers kind of responded uh, negatively and maybe felt a little personally attacked. I certainly don't mean to like personally attack anybody whenever I put out some kind of opinion because I'm very happy for everyone to use the technology that they can have access to or that they like. And I don't expect everyone to like what I like or whatever. Um, so that's not the case at all. But it was kind of funny because somebody else replied to that and they had a screenshot from one of probably my Android videos with me wearing an Apple Watch and they thought they got me. They really zinged me. And the thing is, what I wasn't saying was, if you wear an Apple Watch, then you can't review Android stuff. Or if you really like Android stuff, then you have to stay out of the Apple ecosystem. I wasn't saying anything like that. And that's just kind of taking it way too far if that's what people thought. The reason that this is interesting though, the reason why I pointed out in the first place is because still at the moment, the Apple Watch isn't just an independent entity. It's not its own product. You can't just buy it and use it. You have to have an iPhone still to set that up. And that may be changing because we have the App Store uh, now on the Apple Watch, but to set it up still this year in 2019, you still need to have an iPhone. So by pointing this out, I was just saying, I think the, the person that you're watching review an Android phone that is wearing an Apple Watch, it says a lot about their personal choices for personal devices, the devices they use personally, not just what they're talking about in a particular video, that they are using an Apple Watch because then you have to have an iPhone tied to that 
that you're using then. And then so the person that tweeted a screenshot of one of my videos where I was talking about Android but wearing an Apple Watch, um, you know, it, it wasn't really saying anything because I have made that personal decision too to be in the Apple ecosystem primarily. Um, and it shows because I'm wearing that Apple Watch. And so what I'm really kind of saying is that at the moment, you know, a lot of tech reviewers that show their Apple Watch on their wrist and whatever their video have made the decision personally that that's the best Apple or, or uh, smartwatch for them out of all the choices out there. And a lot of them have the opportunity to review a bunch of different smartwatches that that's the best one for them. I just think it's interesting. That's all. So what I wasn't saying was like, oh, you can't like anything else if you like either Google or Apple or whatever, or you can't be a fan of just tech in general. If you have the Apple watch, then you can't like it. That's not what I'm saying. And like, it's like, come on, that's not what I'm saying. It seems like it should be pretty obvious, but oftentimes it's hard with text stuff and tweets because you're lacking some context and you only have limited space. And sometimes you think people are going to understand what you're saying, but they actually don't. So I just want to clarify for anybody that may have seen that tweet that no, I'm, I, I'm happy for you to use whatever you want to. I just thought that it was interesting that so many Android reviews were done wearing an Apple watch. That's all. Because like, yeah, I, I did get the Pixel 4 and I'm glad that I got it. I'm excited to check it out. And someone was like, well, you can't trust Chris then for Android stuff. Well, that's not the, like I can have opinions on stuff and, and anybody can have an opinion on whatever. And that might be really useful to a certain subset of the population. My particular perspective, given my background and likes and history and whatever. And but then my perspective and my opinions, they're not going to be the best fit for a different set of the population right? They're not going to hold as much value to other people. And so that's why I think it's really cool that there are so many perspectives on YouTube and so many different views and uh, people with different experiences and backgrounds that can come on and be helpful to different people. So long story short, it's interesting that there are so many reviews of Android stuff or non-Apple stuff while the person's wearing an Apple Watch, but it doesn't really mean anything. It didn't mean anything other than it was interesting, the personal choices that that person has made. And I think it also just speaks to the Apple ecosystem too. It's so big. It's so strong. There's so many parts to it that, you know, you don't have another place where you can get a smartwatch and a TV product and a phone and a computer and a smart speaker all in the same place. You know what I mean? And integrated so nicely. Okay, that's enough for this topic. We could go into it even more in depth, but whatever. Be yourself and enjoy the things that you enjoy and never let somebody's tweet or video or podcast content dictate how you feel about yourself. I just want to mention that I've seen a lot of chatter about glitches and Catalina, macOS Catalina and iPadOS and it depends on the outlet and the person, right? Like Forbes, it's almost always negative Apple stuff. I've thought many times about doing a segment about that, but I don't even know if it's that interesting. But Catalina and iPadOS have, and iOS 13 have shipped with some bugs. And Apple's come out with some updates, um, pretty rapid fire. But I have experienced my own fair share of these bugs. Just this morning, when I was trying to put together the topic list for this podcast episode, I'm sitting there on my iPad, and what happens? I tried to command tab because I was I was thinking about how annoying it is that there isn't a dedicated app expose button on the iPad, on Apple's smart keyboard, the smart connector keyboard, 
so that I can just see the app expose workspace with one key press. Um, you have to swipe up from the bottom as far as I know to get that. And it's kind of frustrating because you know there's several third party app or keyboards that will let you see that app expose with a dedicated button. And so this is a whole nother topic. I'm, I'm mulling over my thoughts on Apple's pro keyboard experiences across their product lineups. Let me know if that's something you guys are interested in. But as I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to activate App Expose using some sort of keyboard shortcut, I'm doing the command tab thing, just switching between different apps that are open and it froze. It, it stuck that bar with all my open apps just on the screen. And I've never had a bug quite this bad in a while on the iPad and I couldn't get it off. Um, it doesn't matter if I put it to sleep, if I turned it back on, there it was, that bar was still there. And it didn't matter if I tried to swipe around, open other apps, um, the command tab quit working. So it was just frozen there. And I had to actually turn off my iPad Pro and turn it back on. I had to force the thing to restart uh, before I could get it to work, which is kind of annoying. And honestly, on the iPad Pro, just because of the button configurations, it's weird. I had to look up on my iPhone how to force restart the thing. And it's something like a quick uh, tap on the volume up and a quick tap on the volume down and then a long press for five seconds or until it goes off on the power button. It's quite a process. And who would know that without looking it up? You know what I mean? But over on the Catalina side, um, I kind of mentioned in one of my videos how uh, there was a bug when I just installed Catalina and I just got the new LG Super Ultra Wide 49 inch uh, monitor and everything looked enormous. Like everything was like 20 times bigger than it should be. All in great resolution, <laughs> just huge and enormous. And it took a day for Apple to kind of iron out those kinks and get that working. But there has been some other stuff since then that I've run into. I know a lot of people can't use Adobe stuff at all in Catalina. And that would be very frustrating if you're relying on it, but you want to take advantage of the new features like Sidecar. It's hard as a tech person because if you're into tech, you want to try everything out as soon as it's available. And it's hard enough to stay out of the betas, right? And I try to do that as much as I can, but as a tech reviewer, I got to get in there sometimes. And I've made many trips to the Apple store just to get things working and back to normal because of my adventures in beta land. But anyways, uh, yeah, for me, Adobe Photoshop, which I use obviously a lot for like making thumbnails and stuff um, for the main channel, well, I guess for all the channels, um, that has been a little bit quirky and glitchy. When I open it, when I launch it, what happens is I get like some error, but then I can click off of that and then I can use it and everything's fine. So at the end of the day, I guess when people ask me for advice, like, should I wait or not when there's a new update? I mean, wait a couple of weeks if there's something that you're worried about. If you're worried about not being able to get something crucial or critical done. For me, it's been small enough things that I can easily put up with it and restart it or whatever. And um, it hasn't been too bad. But yeah, that's the tech conundrum and the Apple conundrum in particular. What The, the bigger story here is people are like, is Apple slipping a little bit when it comes to shipping stuff? that is bug free or has less bugs. They're seeming to ship a lot of stuff that's really buggy to the point where with iOS 12, uh, the version that was out before this, it was just basically a bunch of bug fixes, fixing stuff that was broken, that was wrong. And it didn't end up being a super exciting update because they were just having to fix stuff that should have been working in the first place. And so I don't know if we're headed for another kind of uh, round like that with iOS 14, where it's just, you know, things are needing to get fixed fix and working better. Um, I don't know. So there, you know, the bugs, they're frustrating. Um, but hopefully it's something that Apple can deal with in a better way moving forward.
here's something else that I want to talk about before we really get into the topics for the day. I got a really interesting tweet uh, or comment. I don't remember where where this was, but someone was like, it was very uh, positive about the channel. The comment was something like, Daily Tech is the only tech channel that's real, and you're not trying to show off your Tesla and kind of keeping it real. And I didn't really know how to take that because, I mean, thank you for the support, whoever actually you know put this comment out there. I, I do appreciate this, you know the support you guys give in whatever form, but it's kind of hard to have like the balancing act, right? When you're kind of in the public eye in terms of, you know, what you put on camera and, you know, talking about your ambition uh, or, you know, trying to be a good example or just basically how people perceive you. Like I was kind of talking about this when I was getting a haircut the other day. And uh, I was talking to the dude who does my hair. I was like, you know, FOMO, social media. I don't want to contribute to this loop of people feeling like they're missing out on life because somebody has put something really cool in front of them on social media that they don't have. And then they feel like, well, my life kind of sucks in comparison. Like, I don't want to contribute to that. But at the same time, like, I do have aspirations. And there there are things that I enjoy. Um, You know, like... I just got a new car last year and it's not a Tesla, but I have found myself wanting, thinking about getting a Tesla before. So I don't want to be disingenuine. And just because this person said, well, you're keeping it real. You're not showing off your Tesla. Like I like technology and that seems like the most tech forward car out there kind of. And so I would be lying if I said I didn't want to experience a Tesla right now. I don't know. I'm not saying that I'm going to buy one. That's a whole nother thing the channels that are getting Teslas and just Teslas in general, I've seen so many of them out driving around and, and yeah, so many YouTubers do, especially in tech space, have a Tesla, you know, like I tend to like things that are less mainstream and I really liked Tesla when it was new and it wasn't like all over the place. And, and before everyone kind of got one and now it's at the point, like if I do ever decide to get one, then it's sort of just like a copycat thing it's perceived as almost, but then you get into some other territory. It's like, well, then what? Do you get like the Porsche Taycan or whatever? Uh, you know, but that's like much more expensive than a Tesla. And that may make the whole problem even worse. But like, or, or do you just have whatever and you don't like talk about it? You don't do a review of it, you know, don't show it off or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's just, if you guys have ideas about how to handle this kind of a thing, because I do want to be a positive influence and I don't want to make people, you know, like feel bad. Like, like people are like, Man, they look at your desk setup and they're like, how many iPhones and iPads and stuff do you have? Well, you know what? I don't consider myself some rich person. I know it's, there's perspective needed because it depends on all kinds of factors. Uh, and there are a lot of people who look up to me and there are a lot of people who I look up to. Um, and there's just kind of like different levels of creators and influencers. But, you know, people don't know the backstory for stuff. Uh, and so, and by the way, possession has like nothing to do with, if you have, you know, 50 different phones or whatever, um, and a crazy computer setup and a nice house where it doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're happy, you know? And I think I'm not going to mention any names. There's some creators who really show off their wealth sort of in the tech space even. And I've talked about not being happy and how that doesn't make them happy and how they're sort of like depressed. Like, so wealth possessions, that does not equal happiness. And I just want people to know for transparency's sake, a lot of the stuff that I get is stuff that's sent from a company. And so maybe, you know, like the Pixel 4, we were just talking about this. Google sent that over. I didn't pay for it. And you know what? Here's another thing too. When people see you doing all these tech reviews, I get so many comments like asking for free phones or whatever. 
um, Jenna Ezrick commented on this the other day and was talking about, <laughs> someone was like, if it's not too much to ask, can you send over a new iPhone? And she was like, it is too much to ask. And it's not like us as creators don't want to help people, but you know, um, it's not like people in our position haven't worked to get to the point where these devices are sent over to us and they aren't sent over to us, you know, just to like look at it and say, Hey, I'm going to do a giveaway and you know, giveaways. Here's a whole nother can of worms, uh, creators and giveaways. YouTube kind of cracked down on this, but a lot of people kind of like bribe their audience to be a part of their audience, uh, almost trick them into being a part of the audience because of a giveaway. Like, Hey, if you subscribe and I, you know, when I first joined, um, I kind of got looped into that because some other creators were like, Hey, you want to do this giveaway and, and whatever. And I did that for a while, but it felt really disingenuous ingenuous to me because number one, I didn't want people being a fan just because we were giving stuff away. You know, like that doesn't build up a real community. And so we opted for kind of slower growth instead of fake growth, if that makes sense. <laughs> But it's more rewarding in the end, for sure. And, you know, it's hard when you see somebody who you know kind of like bought their audience off showing up at all the best tech events. and and uh, But then you can see like in the view count, while their videos don't get very many views, um, but they're perceived as being like a, a major creator because they basically bought their audience. You know, like, so that's not, I didn't want that. But kind of reversing a little bit, you know, a company doesn't send a phone over just so we can just give it away either. And it's useful to have several devices because then you can, when a new one comes out like next year, then you can compare it and say like, here's what's improved or here's how much things are changing three or four or five generations or whatever. Um, so, but I just want to say like companies do send stuff and I don't necessarily buy it or whatever, but it ends up in a video and a lot of people could just misperceive that as being like, Oh, this person's really well off or well to do. And, um, just looks can be deceiving. And I don't know where I'm really going with this other than to just say, I guess other than to just say, I just want to be more transparent and say like, I don't necessarily buy everything that you see in the videos. I hope that makes sense. And it took a lot of work, years and years and years. Daily Tech has been a thing in one form or another since 2012 to get to this point where we're at. You know what I mean? All right, let's get into the tech topics of the day. The first thing I want to talk about is Apple giving uh, iPhone users, Apple users, more control over how their Siri interactions are collected and used and whether they're collected and how they're used. Because I don't know if you caught this recently, but uh, Apple was sort of in some hot water because they've positioned themselves to be known as the tech company that cares about people's privacy. And then all of a sudden, a report came out that said Apple is collecting Siri data from people and using it, uh, hiring contractors, they were doing this, uh, to grade, is what they call it, the Siri interactions in order to improve the overall Siri experience. The problem is this was happening without people really knowing about it. And I think The Verge has done a good job of covering terms of service lately for different phones and devices and kind of showing how you have to accept these huge long documents, which nobody ever really reads, but kind of sign away several you know different kinds of your rights just to use a product, whether it's an iPhone or um, Android services or whatever. So anyways, recently, Apple was collecting a lot of this Siri data from people without them really knowing about it. 
you can sign one of these things by hitting that accept button when you, you know, sign up when you get your new iPhone and you just want to get it set up and you're kind of rushing through everything. You hit accept on this big, long, you know, digital document and you might be signing away some rights that you didn't really realize. And it's not really fair on the one hand to ask consumers to read that whole thing. I don't know what a, a better solution is. And this is kind of a, a hard thing. I, I felt personally kind of blindsided by Apple when I read about this, when I heard about it, because you got the HomePod. I do. I got the HomePod in the house. I use Siri all the time for like creating reminders, asking about the weather and whatever. And the reason that I was using those things and not something that a lot of people would say is smarter like Alexa or Google Assistant is because I did value my privacy and my family's privacy. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people rightly felt a little bit betrayed by Apple um, hearing about this Siri data collection. So it was wrong of Apple to go about this the way that they did. And I think it also was kind of a bad look in that they wanted to use all this data without kind of making it more clear that they were. And the reason it was sort of a bad look is because it kind of felt like they were going to take advantage of all the data that they could without asking, you know, or being more explicit about how they were going to collect and use it because they needed to catch up to, to Alexa or Google or whatever. You know what I mean? It almost felt like that or looked like that. And that's not the right way to do it. So it was bad that it happened, but it was kind of good in one sense because now Apple, having done the wrong thing to begin with, is now correcting that. Uh, and they're doing this, they're, they're fixing this situation. They're trying to remedy it with uh, iOS 13.2, I believe is the right update. And what they're doing is giving us control now of whether or not our data is collected. Uh, well, I guess if you use Siri, your data is collected and sent to you know uh, Apple's data centers for processing. But whether or not that's retained and stored and then used for grading, whether by contractors or Apple employees, that is now up to you. So Apple is actually making a pretty big deal about this with iOS 13.2, whether you set up a new device with your iPhone, whether it's an iPhone or an iPad, with 13.2, you're going to see as part of that setup process, the option, they've baked it into the setup to either allow or disallow this kind of Siri and um, transcription service collecting and analyzation. It's up to you now. And it's baked into the setup, which is pretty cool. I, I respect that. Now, if you're not setting up a new device, but you download 13.2 and you want to turn all this stuff off anyways, then you want to go into your settings, privacy, and then analytics and improvements. Um, it's not actually under the Siri settings, which is kind of weird. Uh, it, it makes sense where it is, but it may not be where you're looking for. So bookmark this part of the podcast and you'll want to go to settings, privacy, analytics, and improvements. And once you're there, you're looking for the section that says improve Siri and dictation, uh, and there's some little text underneath that says, help improve Siri and dictation by allowing Apple to store and review audio of your Siri and dictation interactions. You're going to want to flip that off, I think. For me, I'm flipping that off. <laughs> Not like that, though. <laughs> and the cool thing is, once you have this set up the way that you want, it's then also going to apply to like your Apple Watch or your HomePod. So this is like the one place to kind of take care of how Siri and your interactions with it are handled. Now, if you choose to opt in, then your interactions with Siri may go to Apple for them to check out and try to improve the service. And that's the key word, may. It's kind of nebulous because maybe it'll happen all the time with all of your interactions, although probably not. I think John Gruber kind of pointed out that it would make more sense if when something went wrong 
for then that to be flagged to go to Apple for further analysis to try to improve it. And this is the double-edged sword, right, with this kind of a service because as an Apple user, you do want it to improve, but also as an Apple user, you don't want to be the guinea pig that's used and your interactions, you don't want those to be the thing that helps it improve in a way. You know what I mean? The other thing to know, though, is that if you opt into sending your stuff to help Siri improve, which thanks if you do it and then I don't have to, <laughs> but your contacts, the name of your contacts might get sent over as well as location data. So a lot of stuff actually ends up getting shared. Interestingly, that information then ends up getting kept for six months and it's paired with a random identifier, supposedly, although I've read a lot of articles about how anonymized data isn't really all that anonymous uh, in the age of AI, but whatever. And then after that, it may still get kept for up to two years without any identification attached to it at all. So it could have quite a long lifespan. And it should be noted, um, Google now will give you a lot more control over your data that you give to Google. Um, and I think they said something about like, it'll be kept for three months or whatever. And it's very possible they don't even need that three months uh, to have hang on to your data to enable all the Google services, but um, whatever. So I guess big picture, it's good that we're getting some data control in this day and age. In the even bigger picture though, I would really prefer to get paid for my data. Did you know that your data, I read this, so not 100% sure how accurate, but people are saying your data is worth more than oil right now. And we're just giving it away for free, basically. Now, while we're talking about this, what about all the data that's already been collected if you're an Apple user? What about that? Well, that's something that you have a little bit of control over too uh, with 13.2. So. And if you go in now, that will be something that you can find um, how to delete this in the Siri settings. So you go settings, Siri and search, Siri history, and tap delete Siri and dictation history. After that, you're done. So if you opt out and if you go in and delete your Siri history, should be like a clean start for you in the Apple ecosystem moving forward. And just like I said at the beginning, the only way to completely ensure that nothing of yours ever makes it to Siri's uh, backend computers and data center is just to not use it at all. But that's not actually very feasible. Not only would it be very inconvenient to not be able to use Siri, but even things like Siri shortcuts, which I use all the time, run through Siri. So, I mean, who's gonna do that? I don't know, I'm not gonna do that. But I will turn things off and delete the history. Let's talk a little bit about iPhones and prices. Uh, you know what an iPhone 11 Pro Max sells for. I think it's like, $1,099, right? Let's use that, over $1,000. And do you have any idea what it actually costs to make an iPhone? And therefore, how much is the upsell, the upcharge? What's the difference? How much profit is Apple making every time they sell you an iPhone? This is an interesting discussion, but it's more complicated than people realize. So uh, this outfit called Tech Insights, they disassembled the latest uh, flagship handset and they identified all the components and they came up with an estimated cost for each of those components. The most expensive component, see if you can guess in your head before I just rattle this off. What do you think? The display? Nope. It is $73.50 estimated uh, for the triple lens camera. Isn't that interesting? And for me, it's like, it's only $73.50 for that triple lens there? Uh, that's interesting. I would have actually thought that it was more. The next most expensive thing is the display and the touchscreen, which they estimate at $66.50, which is just ahead of 
the A13 processor that's supposedly around $64. Okay, and then they go on to say that the assembly of this stuff at Foxconn or whatever it happens in China or India or whatever is about $21. These are just kind of interesting things. Like if you're just using the phone, you don't really think about all the little pieces and how much those cost the company to make or to buy. And it's kind of surprising one way or another at either how cheap they sound uh, individually or how expensive they sound individually. But as a whole, and I'm kind of blown away by how could it only cost $21 to assemble these? I don't know. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The total, when they total up all the different parts, their estimated costs, the total for an 11 Pro Max, they say, is $490.50. In other words, that's 45% of the amount Apple charges the customers for this product. Now, here's where things are a little bit interesting for me. And if you run a business, probably for you too. When This reminds me of when we direct sell a sponsorship for the channel or for the brand. In other words, so there's all these ways, I don't know if you know this, uh, that people can get sponsorships on a YouTube channel. They can do it direct, like working directly with the company or influencer. Hey, what's the price? Okay, let's do it. And here's a contract, whatever. Or they can do it through a third party. Um, there's a lot of different agencies out there, too many almost, um, that are sort of a middleman, an intermediary between big brands and top creators and influencers. And so sometimes these, they're almost like marketplaces too. There's different approaches. But a brand, maybe uh, a computer brand will come to one of these agencies because they feel like maybe it's a little more professional to go through an agency and have an agency kind of looking out for the best interest they feel. Some brands are more comfortable doing that. And they'll say, here's the kind of content we want. Can you find us some creators? And they'll reach out to creators. And uh, we get a lot of these emails every day. And uh, by the way, most of them we turned down. If you ever wondered, um, <laughs> is it just super easy to, to sponsor Daily Tech? No, I mean, we're, we're pretty discretionary about it uh, because we want to be a screen for you guys, a filter in terms of uh, our opinions. And our opinions are not for sale. So we've never done like a sponsored review, for instance. We'll do a sponsorship where somebody can say, hey, we'll pay you to let people know about this product. And if it's a good product, if we like it, if it makes sense to cover and show you guys, then we will. But nobody has ever or will ever pay us to say that their product is good. All opinions are real opinions on Daily Tech. But oftentimes when somebody contacts us and they say, hey, we want to do a sponsorship directly. Um, and we're like, well, here's what it's going to cost. And they're like, no, that's way too expensive. Uh then we're like, no, because people don't understand. There's more to the cost of price than just what you think on the surface. And this is similar to the iPhone. So for us, um, there's the actual time that goes into creating content, but there's also our equipment, cameras, lights, lenses, mics, tripods, sets, all this stuff, right? Computers to edit things on, software, um, that nobody would really think about as part of the price. And then there's also like our history. We took all this time to build up an audience that's relevant to people. And it took all this time to learn, to get educated about how to make content and how to edit and how to improve. And so there's a big difference between if a brand wanted to create some content in-house, right? And they'd have to start from scratch and reacquire all that knowledge and equipment and whatever before actually making the content and going to somebody who's already established, has all this experience, has all this equipment and the know-how in the audience, there's a big difference. And there are costs associated with that. So that extra 600 some dollars that's not accounted for in the price of the iPhone there, it's not just pure profit 
for Apple. There's things like research. You got to pay your employees. You got like the software and that development aside from the hardware itself. Like think of all the apps that you use. And it took a lot of people and time to develop those, right? To make the hardware actually better and usable. Interestingly though, um, the, the Galaxy S10, it's not just Apple, right? With the big markup. Uh, the Galaxy S10, they did a similar teardown and the cost of goods, the bill of materials was 420 bucks. And you know, the list price for that is 999 too. So Apple's not the only one, you know, charging a lot for phones. I just want that to be clear. So phones cost a lot, phones are expensive, but you should know that it's not all just like greed and pure profit. And by the way, if we as consumers keep paying these prices, who can we really blame, right? And as long as we keep leasing them at cheap prices uh, or whatever, and as long as companies keep doing like trade-in programs and finding ways to kind of effectively lower the cost or the payment or the pain of the payment, as long as we keep paying and acquiring, then, you know, who can we really blame? And by the way, if you think about a phone, an iPhone, we talked about this already, so I'm not gonna go too in-depth here, as your main computer, which for a lot of people it really is. Think about, do you use your phone more than you use like your laptop or your tablet? Maybe, probably, look at your screen time. Uh, then it makes sense, because what do you pay for those computers You know that you rely on? Here's something that's really, really, really interesting to me. Apple just recently won a patent for a smart ring. You're already intrigued, I can tell. I can't even look at you if you're listening to this, but I know. You're like, what, smart ring? Now, the only reason that it's interesting to me is because Apple has been considering it. There's been smart rings already, and I don't like them. I don't like the looks, I don't like what they do, I don't like the idea of having it on my finger, like yet another thing, and Amazon just recently came out with like an Alexa ring, and nobody that I have seen is excited about it. They don't like how it looks, uh, they don't know that they need it in their lives. Um, basically, it just got a lot of ridicule or people just didn't care. It was like a big yawn. But when Apple comes along and they're like, we're thinking about a smart ring, it's got my attention. Here is the exact wording of the patent. It's a, quote, wearable electronic ring computing device. It's small enough to put on a finger. So the idea of this thing is that it would have a touch screen, a little screen, touch screen, and it would work closely with another device. Now that is not foreign to Apple and their strategy uh, because the Apple Watch, like we just talked about at the beginning of this podcast, it relies on the iPhone, right? To do stuff. Um, now, if you have LTE, if you have a cell version of the Apple Watch, it's a bit more independent, but still to set it up or whatever. But if you don't, if you just have the GPS version, that relies heavily then. Basically, it can't exist without the iPhone. And so this potential smart ring might be something that's kind of like that. It's not a standalone device, like maybe that Alexa ring or whatever, some other smart devices that already exist that people have envisioned. But what it's saying, what it looks like, sounds like to me, is something that might be able to enhance the use of other or another Apple device, which sounds pretty cool. So here's a little more detail for you. Um, the patent that they received is for an external electronic device with a finger ring mounted touchscreen that includes a computer processor, wireless transceiver, and rechargeable power source. So this could be an alternative to a touchscreen, to a mouse, or to a keyboard. Do you understand what's happening here? 
this sounds pretty cool to me. I've seen all kinds of videos, uh, you know, where it's sort of like the minority report interface, you know, where, and Google just came out with radar for the pixel four, where you wave your hand over to like change songs or silence things or whatever makes face unlock a little bit faster. There's all these promises that we see in movies and whatever, and actual real products that kind of don't live up to the hype, but something like this, um, is actually pretty exciting. And I wonder partially in the back of my head, if this is one reason why we don't have like real quote unquote real or full mouse support on the iPad, it's only an accessibility feature with that huge gray dot, um, that's usable, but like people don't like it. Um, I wonder if something like this is why we don't have that full mouse support because Apple has something else maybe up their sleeve. I don't know, but I'm intrigued. Have you ever seen those keyboards that like project with a laser, a keyboard on any surface? They're kind of weird. It's like a little box and it shoots out a red laser and then you can type on these virtual laser keys. Uh, well, you know, there's all these different alternative interfaces and ideas for those, but maybe, you know, there used to be this thing, it's called a Mayo, M-Y-O armband. I had one for a while. I don't know what happened to it. This is years ago. Uh, I think when we were still a blog and it was like a wristband and it could read the muscle movements in your hand. So if you would turn your hand, um, you could like scroll around and things, or if you pinched and made a fist, you could like select something. Or if you splayed all your fingers out, opened them up, um, then that would do something. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by alternative interfaces. So what if you had this ring and it kind of basically acted like a mouse, but it was like an air mouse. You know what I mean? I could see really liking that for a couple reasons. Number one, you can use this in a coffee shop or at the airport or something without needing a surface, right? So sometimes it's really crowded or you just are sitting in a seat and your desk is basically your lap. Um, maybe this could be cool. Maybe you don't even have to point it at the screen. You know, you could just have your hand in your pocket almost like control. I don't know. I don't know what exactly this is or how it would work. And we have to understand that Apple files a lot of patents. And this one was filed like two years ago or three years ago or something. And it just got awarded recently. Um, so this may never see the light of day, but I like to cover this kind of thing every now and then, probably only on the podcast and not on the actual main channel, because it's fun to dream about this kind of thing. And it's a good, it's good for people to understand too. Like a lot of people accuse Apple, especially lately of being less innovative, uh, right. Or like resting on their laurels or, you know, the Tim Cook era is just kind of coasting along. Whereas the Steve Jobs era in their mind, uh, was where all the real innovations happen. But, you know, these patents are fun to cover sometimes because it shows people like Apple is still thinking and rethinking their products, coming up with new stuff. So just kind of thinking through this a little bit further, what probably would happen is that the primary computer, whether let's let's just say iPad, because I like this idea, the iPad maybe gives the smart ring some options and then you can select it. Maybe it's just a yes or no kind of a thing. And you can select that um, yes or no, or I don't know, you know. There was a really interesting other patent that I talked about sometime in the past where Apple was coming up with gesture controls for your Apple Watch and tilting it, you know, this way would do something, tilting it that way would do something. I thought that was really cool. And I've been waiting for that to actually hit the actual real product, uh, the Apple Watch. Um, so in case you're wondering, things can get a lot cooler than they already are. The, the trade-off is Apple always needs to balance how simple can we keep this really cool idea? Can it be simple enough? And if it's too complicated, chances are Apple's not going to do it. And so that's probably where a lot of really cool sounding ideas end up dying. That's the graveyard they go to is 
can it be simple? And is it actually useful? So there's some real world uh, examples of how this could be useful. Um, this ring could have haptics in it, which sounds like a big word if you don't know what it is. But all it is is like, you know, when your phone like vibrates when you click on something or do something, that's haptics. That little motor is giving you some feedback, some tactile feedback to let you know that you did something. Uh, so haptic, and when your Apple Watch, uh, when you, on the newest one, uh, when you move the crown and you get a little bit of feedback, um, those are haptics. So you could have haptics built into this smart ring and it could give you directions, right? Without you having to look at anything. So you're walking down the street, you've got your directions in there using Siri, cause it'd be probably Siri enabled. You say, give me directions to the nearest coffee shop. And you're walking down the street and it gives you some, you know, like a little tap on the left side of it or something, or, you know, three tabs means right, two tabs means left. I don't know what it is. And that is a really cool use case, I think. Oh, the coffee for sure. But I mean, also the haptics. <laughs> I do have a Nitro in me right now because I went and picked up the Google Pixel 4 at the PO box and on the way back, I stopped and got a Nitro. So if you're wondering, yes, I've been Nitroed. But the smart ring, it could have a motion sensing capability too and it could recognize your gestures, which means maybe you could be like air riding something and that could be input into the device. So like if you needed to sign in or something, maybe you could do that. Uh, or if you wanted to just send a quick text or something without taking a device out. Or I'll tell you what, now that I'm thinking about this, Apple's doing something with their AR headset, whether it's glasses, whether it's a headset, uh, more of like a HoloLens looking thing than a Google Glass thing, I don't know. But something like this could really be useful for your AR experience. And for that matter, I mean, if you're talking about recognizing hand gestures and stuff, maybe the Apple Watch could just do that. See, that's another thing. Apple might be sitting there thinking like, well, how much of this needs to be a, a separate device and how much of it could be on a device that we already have out there? That's probably a discussion happening too. So let me know if you guys like talking about this kind of a thing or if you're like, it's just a patent. It doesn't really mean anything. We may never see it. Uh, let's, let's skip that and talk about something that's actually happening right now. Let me know. Give me some feedback. I'm at Daily Tech, spelled daily T-E-K-K, on Instagram, on Twitter, of course, on YouTube. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Um, if you don't know, however you're interacting with this, if you're just listening, then there is a video version. I can't promise it's super entertaining, but you can still put it on, like if you're working or whatever, have it in the background. And sometimes it's nice to have some visuals to go with what's being said. There's also a clips version. So every segment gets broken up from these podcasts and uploaded to a separate clips channel. So that kind of helps with like search engine rankings and stuff for us. But for you, maybe if you don't have time to sit through a whole thing or there's just one thing that's really interesting or intriguing to you, you can just kind of get that little morsel that you like, that tasty little morsel instead of the tasty full meal. And of course, yeah, if you're watching this, whether it's the full thing or Eclipse, then yeah, consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or just with the RSS feed or in your favorite podcast app, wherever. We should be basically everywhere. Now, if you're having any trouble, let me know. But that's it for this podcast. Uh, if you guys have a good idea for a way to end these um, that's kind of fun for the people that stick around, let me know. Give me some ideas there too because this thing's growing and it's learning as we go. And now that it's over and the nitro is wearing off, it's time to get some sleep and some rest and hopefully be over this cold by Monday. All right, later.